Why EAT needs to be at the core of your SEO strategy, especially when AI is rising, with Edward Zabrinsky. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. Why is Google spelling EAT with an extra E? And what impact is AI having on EAT? That's what we're covering today with a man who's spoken on EAT with three E's at Brighton SEO. He previously managed an SEO campaign that won a Global Search Award and is currently the SEO and content manager at Swoop Funding. I want to welcome to the In Search SEO podcast, Edward Zubrinsky. Hey, thank you for having me. Hey, thank you, Edward. Thanks for coming on. You can find Edward over at swoopfunding.com. So Edward, let's start off with um, the perspective of AI, because obviously that's a hot topic at the moment. Um, so how is AI actually affecting EAT? In the new sort of AI world that's ever evolving, obviously fantastic content that can actually be well written, cited, referenced and resourced is at the fingertips of anyone just by plugging in a very simple command, whether it's you go into chat GPT and you type in a simple thing such as how can I find the best business loan how can I source funding for my new business and you'll get a well-returned article the difference is everybody is now able to do that just by hitting a few keys what will over time separate people that use the AI content from the well-written crafted curated content is the aspect of EEAT when AI produces content there is essentially no author There is no expertise that has gone into creating the piece. It is just sort of scraped from around the web. And as well, there is no sort of authority and trustworthiness that you can apply to it as you can't see the person that's actually responsible for publishing said content. And even when you say we're to publish AI written content and assign it to the organisation, in doing so, you are, again, removing that human element that is so critical for businesses nowadays to really differentiate themselves. When you think of any business industry that you operate in, there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of companies just like you. The only thing that is going to set set you apart is the amazing team that you have, the credentials of all of those people, and then how you best apply that information to your website as a whole, but also every bit of content that can be seen to be educating, offering a service or a product, and even just sort of the general main content of your website. Anything that is written and published needs to have a responsible source behind it. Yeah, great point. So basically, don't be a lazy marketer. Um, do, <laughs> exactly that. Don't just rely on AI. Um, if you do that, then you're not going to differentiate yourself from everyone else. And um, you, you, you're not giving yourself any chance to actually rank highly, certainly for competitive terms. So moving on from that slightly, um, I woke up one morning and I saw that um, someone was sharing an article about eat with two E's. And I thought someone had misspelled it, but Google had actually introduced this um, extra E at the beginning experience. So, so, so why did they do that? So experience has always played into the expertise part of VAT. However, it was very much just integrated within expertise in its own right, as Google would value personal experience in the same light as it would expertise. I think the move to include it, I believe it was in uh, December of last year, um, was just really to highlight that personal experience does count for expertise as years service within an industry can actually be a vital source of information and also credibility behind a certain topic area. For instance, somebody that's been working in finance for 
in theory, 10 years should be a lot more experienced and have a greater level of expertise, therefore authority and trustworthiness, than someone that is newly graduated as yes, they've got the knowledge and they are walking into that sort of industry with that education behind them. However, they haven't got the personal tried and tested experience that then lends to that credibility. Is there any way that you can manufacture this um, experience or is that something that um, you can only actually gain by um, having actual experience? I think it's something that you can actually only gain from actual experience in the sense that um, I talk about digital footprints all the time in the sense of everything down from sort of like your LinkedIn to even anything that you do on say message boards, forums, posts you interact with on the internet, everything like that really sorts to build a sort of character behind you as a, a person. So when you're, say, interacting with posts on LinkedIn that say either you've contributed to a survey or you've offered your opinion on a piece or even on um, message boards like Reddit and forums offering advice, it's all these little signals that when Google scours the web and is applying, say, content that is written or attributed to you, it's like, okay, who is Edward Zabrinsky? Who is this person that is either offering this information? Who are they? Why can we trust them? what sort of grounds did they have to be making this sort of statement or these recommendations? And ultimately, why should people feel safe that they can read this content and take something valuable away from it? Now, the other three pillars, expertise, authoritativeness and trust. And I saw in your brightness, you talked that um, you said start with trust. So why is that? So trust, in my opinion, was always going to be the most important sort of I say metric in the loosest um, term, but the most important metric that you could strive to improve because ultimately, if your content could be trusted, it must show expertise and authoritativeness. I think as sort of English reading people, we're geared to read left to right. So you'd think that expertise and authority are the most important elements as they're ultimately at the start of the acronym. Whereas with trustworthiness, if you had a website that was trusted and you are in a position to offer either a service product or some form of advice, you only get that trustworthiness by being an expert and an authority within your industry. So it's a bit of a way of like reverse engineering it almost that if you have trust at the forefront of your mind with everything that you're doing when it comes to website content, then ultimately that content will in turn demonstrate expertise and authority. And what would be a practical way of demonstrating that trust? Having author bios associated with all of your content, but also making sure that the reputation of the individual and the organisation as a whole is positive throughout the wider web. So going back to that idea of digital footprints, it's not enough to just say, have on your website a series of reviews or have some review schema present or even just having a Google business profile. You want to have a positive footprint across the wider web as a whole so that every little signal that Google or any other search engine crawls and sees in relation to your business, it is positive. And as well, not going against the general sort of consensus without uh, due diligence and backing, as we saw with Dr. Axe back in 2018, because he was offering unfounded sort of medical explanations or options for certain treatments or anything like that, and his, um, I believe his, his trust pilot was absolutely horrifically rated. He saw an overnight drop as a result of the medic update because there just wasn't that positive relationship in the wider web and his website. And that's something that um, search engine bots will easily pick up on. You talked about author bios there. 
What would you say to a brand owner or a business owner that is actually scared of including or offering the ability to include links to social profiles um, to anyone that actually contributes to the blog, for example, um, because they feel, well, what happens if they move on from the business? Then they're actually taking the business authority and and it's helping them to drive their own personal brand. Should they be concerned about things like that? Um, In my opinion, no, there are plenty of ways that you can sort of get around this in order to protect yourself. And also, in the event of somebody moving on, it can actually work in your favour in the sense that if you can sign some kind of agreement to say that even should you leave this company, we can still have your likeness on the website just for the content that you've been attributed to. If that person then goes on to bigger and better things or seen to be greater things in the industry, you can then say this content was produced by this person that is now working here and this is what they did for us. And again, you're almost gaining value from somebody that is no longer with your business. In circumstances where you absolutely cannot have a person attributed to the website, you can have a sort of generic team bio that says the team here at X company have over 40 years experience within the industry. And then you can link out to either some social profiles or ghost written articles that they've contributed to. So it gives that signal of our team have produced articles, not just for this website, but they've lended content to website YZAB. And again, it just creates that digital footprint. You don't have quite the same human element, so it won't be as effective. However, it's still a nice little loophole that you can sort of look to capitalize on to make sure that you still hammer home the idea of EAT without having to essentially give away your secret source too much if you worry about your sort of talent being headhunted. So are you saying that um, any brand actually possibly needs to have a legal agreement in place with their blog contributors so that if they leave the company, um, they've got the right to maintain those blog posts? Or is it not the case that um, because those employees published, wrote and published those blog posts at the time of being with the company, that the brand has got the right of retaining those blog posts on their side? I think it's one of those things that it's going to be completely situational as some brands maybe and employees may be absolutely fine with saying, yep, that's part of my portfolio now. So I'm happy for it to still appear even when I'm no longer with the company. But just from the brand's perspective in the uh, idea of protecting yourself, it is always advisable to have something in place that says, yes, I consent to you using my likeness and bio on the website solely for the content that I have produced, just so then you avoid any unnecessary hiccups down the line where you may have to either remove content or if you were in a situation where you had to remove the author's bio, you've gone from having an incredibly credible piece written, cited, reviewed by humans to now it becomes a bit anonymous and that's when it falls into that grey area again of who's actually responsible for this content. And again, that's when it starts to go against the quality rate of guidelines is it doesn't show who is responsible. You have no idea if any care and attention has actually been paid to producing this content. And as well, it creates inconsistency on the website, which saying over time, if it was to happen at scale, could actually cause issues down the line as you've gone from once having incredibly credible content at scale to now ambiguous content that you don't really understand the true value of. So what would be examples of uh, demonstrating expertise and authoritativeness? 
Um, so examples of expertise and authoritativeness would be any industry mentions throughout the wider web. Again, guest con- contributions, offering insight, even quotes and for things like journalist requests. Also backing up and screaming and shouting about any sort of awards, accreditations the organisation has, but also the employees that make up that organisation. Because ultimately then you're able to say, this company is fantastic because we've done X, Y and Z, achieved X, Y and Z. But the people that make up the team as well have done this in their own right. And again, it just becomes a thing of companies can be doing the same thing, but the thing that makes them different is the people that make up those teams. So again, just really hammering home and centralising this information. That's the big part that people tend to overlook or get wrong is that they have all of this behind them and they have these incredible people making up their teams or they've won countless awards, but it might appear as like an image in the footer of their website. Ultimately, that doesn't mean anything apart from a visual trust signal that when the user looks at it, it would not contribute to EAT in the same way just because it's an image as opposed to written text that can be crawled and processed by the search engines. So the best way of doing that would be maybe if you win an award, then perhaps actually create a blog post with interviews of the different employees that you have who participated in the award, a link back to the award itself, obviously, and um, to talk about it and uh, have a great post on your site about it. Absolutely. And as well, if you um, every business should have an about page as that really acts as your digital business card. Have it featured on there, make it prominent. And even if you're shortlisted for an award, you have to, in theory, beat out many other businesses to even get announced for a shortlist. So any nominations, shortlists, wins. But then also in the same light, any partnerships you have with other industry bodies, just because, again, you're not acting almost rogue or outside of sort of general consensus, or you're not showing that you're, say, like, ungoverned ultimately. If you're partnered with a lot of other organisations, for instance, if you're in health, like in healthcare, broadcast your CQC rating, for instance, in finance, everything is uh, regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. So really make sure that you demonstrate that everything that you do and every bit of content you publish, every bit of anything that ends up on your website ultimately coincides with the rules and regulations that are given and you're adhering to that at all times. And if you do that, then I guess you're giving yourself a better chance of getting things like knowledge panels. Exactly that. And as we said earlier, it just goes into that whole idea of the digital footprint, you've got the organisation, you've got the individuals, and altogether, it just creates a much more cohesive, streamlined and digestible EAT signal. Unfortunately, EAT isn't one of those things that it's like, brilliant, I'll implement 10 uh, author bios on the website, list that we've won three awards, and suddenly my rankings will go from 14th to third overnight. It's part of an ongoing commitment Um, So always making sure that this sort of thing is up to date, frequently updating and reviewing content, and also keeping things like awards and any partnerships up to date, just to really hammer home who you are, what you do, and why you can be trusted. So let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. Um, So what's one SEO activity that you can do that has um, an overwhelming impact on your overall results? The biggest thing that I can say is competitor analysis. It's so easy to go into things trying to reinvent the wheel, thinking you need to do something so drastic and different and 
quirky and out there when really you just need to look at what other people are doing that is tried, tested and is working and then look at how you can capitalise on that, see what works well for them, see if you can produce similar articles, if you can offer a different perspective, if you can ultimately produce better content. I like to look at SEO as the same but better or the same but different in the sense that if you're competing with people, especially as, a say, a startup, if you're able to look at what other organisations put out there, even if it's just to get the general theme, that's half your marketing strategy done. And it's just how you then look to implement it in the sense of new content, fresh perspectives, more, say, structured data on the website, anything like that, that just gives you that little edge in the sense that you're looking at what already works and you're improving on it instead of starting from scratch, trying to invent the wheel. And how often should you be benchmarking yourself against your competitors? And actually, who do you, how do you go about defining who your competitors are? So re- realistically, I like to use marketing tools. So SEMrush is one of my favourites um, and is very easy to use for, for this sort of thing. I tend to do this on a sort of quarterly basis against our top competitors, but on a monthly basis, I'll choose a certain niche aspect of the business and then look at that um, in detail, find who ranks for similar keywords that I'm looking to pursue within a, a certain niche. So instead of looking at, say, 100% of a marketing strategy, break it down to make it super digestible, actionable, and stuff that you can realistically implement now and see the changes of in, say, the following week or month. And this is, say, find uh, the niche that you really want to capitalise on and improve on, put the competitors into whatever marketing software or tool that you use, and then ultimately find out what they're doing well, find out the areas that they're not doing so well in, look for that opportunity, capitalise on the things that they're doing well that you're missing, and it all comes together to create a brand new cohesive content plan that will then bridge the gap between you and your competitors, signal what it is that you do to Google and get new users interested in your website and putting yourself in front of prospective customers. Super stuff. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Edward over at swoopfunding.com. Edward, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been great to speak to you. Cheers, David. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com. Hey.